Wise Turtle Speaks is a series of offerings merging philosophy, physics, math, biology, psychology, sociology, education, art, politics, and even love together. We will explore the patterns of our consciousness as it moves through space and time and use those patterns to better understand and solve our problems in all four dimensions of the universe. Namaste. Hi. Today I'm going to do the big one. The one that I've been trying to record uh, several times now and keeps having technical difficulties and uh, hopefully this one will be uh, as, as listenable as possible and not have the battery cut out in the middle of it because it's going to be a long one. And this is the one I'm calling Entropy, Randomness, Evolution, Free Will, Determinism, and pretty much what life is all about, also known as Pascal's Triangle. Yep, this is the big one. This is the one where I'm going to describe why Pascal's Triangle is a very useful tool for looking at the universe and organizing things and how it can help us uh, sort of get a better grasp of the, the big questions of life, the big curiosities of of how things function. This is the how, as opposed to my why, which was one of my earlier uh, podcasts that I did. This one is the how podcast, and it's going to show you the sort of relationships between things, as far as I see it. And, and also, this is, um, well, this is not a traditional way to present the idea of... Um, physics and how the universe works and the laws of nature and all of this stuff. It is, however, in agreement with pretty much everything I've seen as far as the sort of general ideas of how the universe works and certainly even some of the more detailed stuff. I just present it in a, a much more schizotypal, uh, relationshipy, feminine-y, uh, cat-like way where you, you look at um, the the big picture and you sort of try to understand how it all fits together as opposed to taking things apart. Um, so without further ado, I'm going to introduce the, the very basics of Pascal's Triangle. And please do, um, if you haven't seen a diagram of Pascal's Triangle and don't understand how it works, uh, before you listen any further, um, you'll just get so lost if you don't look at that and understand the very basics of it. I will try to describe it for you in case you you know, on our desert island, <laughs> don't happen to have access to the internet or a book or anything, but um, but it'll make it so much easier if you're looking at Pascal's Triangle. Um, there's a there's a, a, a link, I will definitely provide a couple of different links, but uh, the math, I thought it was called math is fun, but it's actually called maths, M-A-T-H-S, which is the British way of saying mathematics, shortening it, maths is fun, which is really hard to say, but that's the website, and I'll put a link into it. And they have um, both a link to Pascal's Triangle and the Quincunx, which I'll get into very briefly, um, and probably talk a little bit more about in another episode. Um, but So the basics of Pascal's Triangle is, you start with, at the very top, um, normally you start with a one. However, in reality, as far as the universe is concerned, uh, you don't ever just start with a one. You, you can't just make a one out of nothing. Um, or at least not in physics. You, you don't generally just start with, oh, suddenly there's a thing. <laughs> um, so in, uh, 
in some of the more detailed uh, descriptions of Pascal's triangle I've seen, certainly go back and add um, zeros on either side of the one. So you have basically, uh, you know, what you might call a yin-yang um, existence of reality where there is, uh, there are two op opposing forces or structures or whatever you want to call them. So um, that's, and if you, if you look at, um, let's see if I can find a link to a website that shows you where the zeros go um, and and goes into detail about that. There's also, there's a, there's actually another triangle on the, sort of a reverse inside out triangle on the up top of Pascal's triangle that keeps going. Um, but I don't know, I, I don't understand what that thing does. So <laughs> I'm not going to talk about it. Um, if, if you do, then go for it. Um, add some comments, let me know. But anyway, so we have, we have at the very top of Pascal's triangle, we have zeros on either side and then a one in the middle. So you have one unitary universe. Um, some people call it multiverse, but it, it's the single existing thing. And then what Pascal's triangle does is it has these two processes of contraction and expansion, um, also known as um, combination and division or addition. There's it, it, a lot of different terms and there are no perfect terms. Um, I generally use contraction and expansion because that's, it's, it's fairly um, tactile. You can sort of, I mean, contraction is you, you make a fist, you pull your, your fingers into the center of your fist and you make a, a sort of spherical shape. And expansion is when you open your hand up again and, you know, all the different fingers go in different directions. So it's a great example of contraction and expansion. And what Pascal's triangle does is um, you start at the top, on the, you know, whatever the top level is you're at, and then you divide each category. So each, um, some Pascal's triangles have spheres, some use squares, some just use numbers, um, but basically you have, you have a, a unitary thing and you divide that into two. So you have a fractional, fractal, um, division. So you have a one half on one side and then you have the second half on the other side and you sort of go down. Pascal's triangle always goes down. Uh, you can draw it any direction you want but it's traditionally drawn down so I'm going to describe it that way. So as you go down you now have two but they're of two so they're two halves. There's one half on one side and the, the second half on the other side and so that's the division part, the expansion part of the process. But then if we want to go down to the next level, you see there are three categories. There are three sort of unitary objects that are related to one another. Now each row of Pascal's triangle, I'm going to say, is, is um, a moment in time in the universe. And this is not super controversial, but um, it probably might not have been thought of previously this way. Um, but it makes it makes sense to me, so this is what I'm describing it as, that we have a the, the first point in the universe is the first point in time as well. And then we go down to the second point in time. Uh, and that's where you have two things in the row. Two things in the universe, one and two. And then we go to the third row and we have three things in the universe. That's T3, time three. 
But in order to get three things from two things, we have to figure out how we're going to reorganize things. And if we stick to the same process of dividing, because we're only allowed two processes here, um, you can divide or you can recombine. So what we do is we divide the, the two things. So we have four quarters. We have the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, and the fourth quarter. But that's four things, and we want to recombine them into two thi into three things. So what we end up doing is combining the ones that are next to one another. Um, and again, if you look at the diagram, it's much clearer than I can describe it in words. Um, but as you go down, you go down diagonally. So as the as something on the if something's on the left, it combines with something on the right. Now remember, we have zeros on the outside of Pascal's triangle, so we're always going to combine with zero on the two edges, which is how we end up getting ones all the way down Pascal's triangle on the edges, and that's a that's a sort of weird looking thing, but it, this is how it ends up happening because we have those zeros on the outside. So we add the, the first um, quarter to a zero and we get, so we get one quarter. And then we, because that was, th those are the two combined. And then the middle ones, the two middle ones, the two middle quarters get combined together. So you have two quarters, which is a half. So you have a half in the middle. And then on the end again, you have one quarter that's been combined with a zero. So you have a one quarter, a two quarters, and a one quarter. So that um, when you look at Pascal's triangle, usually they do, don't, don't break it down into the fractions. Um, I actually really like breaking it down into fractions because I think it, it shows uh, far more information. Um, but normally when you see it, you'll just see the uh, the top number. You'll just see the, the number of combinations of things. Uh, and then you won't see the the number that's the whole number on the bottom. Um, but that's aside from the point. So what we keep doing is we, we're doing this division and recombination. We divide it in half and then we combine uh, the two, the, the most left half with the most right half of the above categories. And again, if you're looking at this, it makes so much more sense, uh, but I'm doing my best to try to describe it with words as well. Okay, so now we have the basic two processes, and what this gives us, as we move down Pascal's triangle, and each row, we get more and more complexity. We get more and more possible combinations of things as we add um, more levels of possibility. So what this also describes, what Pascal's triangle also very clearly describes is the normative curve, which is also called the bell curve, which is the curve that shows um, the average in the middle and then the more extreme rarities on the edge. And it's this perfect, beautiful little little curve um, with a nice hill in the middle. And, and that's literally what a hill is. You know, that's <laughs> the most things in a hill or a mountain, you know, most of the atoms, most of the, the rocks, whatever, particles of matter, in a mountain or in the middle of the mountain at the highest point. And then as, uh, you know, gravity pulls things down the hill, you get less and less stuff, matter, um, on the edges of the mountain or the hill. And this is the same thing with Pascal's triangle. This is showing you um, when you have a number of combinations of things, it shows you 
how many of those things are going to be in the middle and how many of the or the average and how many of those things are going to be on the edges now the universe works this way because every time you have a moment in space or time um, there's a split that the spin of a particle or whatever you want to call it, whatever small point you want to measure, whether that's your physical body going left to right, whether that's um, an atom giving off an electron or absorbing an electron, or whether it's a quark spinning up or down, you know, at every possible moment there is an opportunity for something to either divide contract, whatever you want to call it, or expand, um, which is also called multiplication or division. It's, it's, oh, it's such a mess. Um, but basically you can make, you can make it go one direction or another direction. And those are the only two options as far as the physics is concerned, because um, on a physics level, things are very, very precise and uh, not so messy because we're looking at the smallest possible thing. You can either have a particle or a wave. You know, something can contract into a particle or it can expand into a wave. That's all that physics can do on a very, very tiny level. And what this big stuff that we have, you know, cells and suns and cabbages and kings, everything, um, is a combination of these two possible processes, these two possible functions of reality. Um, so if you looked, if you, if you mathematically described a bowl of water, you would be able to uh, break it down into saying, uh, and, and I represent um, contraction as a zero and expansion as a one just because that's that's how it seems to make sense to me um, so we can ex we can expand everything we can explain everything as being a binary collection of patterns where each individual little bitty thing gets turned into a one or a zero we can say that this, this is a particle or a wave this is a spin up or a spin down or however we want to describe it um, on whatever level of complexity you want to describe something at. But you can describe it with a series of ones and zeros. And now, what I'm going to point out is that the more complex something is, the more, and by complexity I mean the um, two different things. Not only does it have more possible things in it, but it also has a more unpredictable pattern of those things. So if you have an entire set of things that are or a, a thing that can be described by an entire set of zeros, everything is pure contraction. That means that it's the most material matter-like solid object possible. Um, that's not complex. It's, it might be big. It might have a lot of these zeros in it. It might have a lot of little, little particles uh, or whatever you want to call them. Um, but it's not complex because it's it, it doesn't express anything new. The pattern is very, very, very simple. It's pure. However, 
The thing's in the middle of Pascal's triangle. And this is where we see the most diversity, the most range of possible things. And that's where you get this complexity of things such as life. Living things are right in the middle of Pascal's triangle, which is pretty cool. Because a lot of people say that um, the entropy, this idea of entropy, is it means things breaking down. It makes it means things being more boring. Except that that's not really what you see when you look at what complexity, what entropy means. Entropy, um, an increase in entropy is an increase in unpredictability. I'm going to say that again. The more unpredictable something is, the more entropy it has. That doesn't mean it's boring. That's the opposite of boring. That means that it has the most weird combinations of patterns in it. And if you look at around in the universe, the thing that's most weird, that's most unpredictable, that is most not boring, that's life. That's living things. So we are actually high entropy things rather than a lot of people think that life is low entropy. Um, because we, we seem like we're so organized, we're so, you know, we're so unique, we're so uh, not dead, not matter. But the opposite of true, opposite is true. We're actually the most, we are the most unpredictable, the most complex, the most weird things out there. Um, and we're not organized. We're actually very, very, very disorganized. You know, our, our pinky toes are incredibly different from our eyeballs. Um, yes, we have this organization that human beings pretty much all have pinky toes and we pretty much all have eyeballs, but our individual organisms, our individual bodies are highly unpredictable. I mean, you can't look at a pinky toe and predict that there'll be an eyeball anywhere near that, you know, in that body. You just can't predict it. It's, it's just totally random as far as, well, totally unpredictable, I should say. Uh, it's totally high entropy. So that's one of the challenging things that, that might, uh, that, that a few scientists might find strange. But if you really look at it and describe what, what high entropy is, high entropy literally just means the most unpredictable thing out there. It means the most complex combination of patterns uh, that if you look at one part of the, the pattern, you can't predict another part of the pattern. And that's life. That's literally life for you. Uh, now, if we go down Pascal's triangle and we use it as a, a pegboard, which is called a quincunx, um, which is a horrible term, Q-U-I-N-C-U-N-X. And um, I hate saying it, so I won't say it again. But if you want to look it up, I'll, I'll have a, uh, a link. And what this pegboard is... Um, You've probably seen it. It's it's basically triangular shape. It is Pascal's triangle. You drop a marble or some little ball or something at the very top of it, and it hits the pegs or nails or whatever little little rows of peg sort of shaped things that will that the uh, the marble will bump into, and then it has it is forced to take either a left or a right. It can't go through the peg. It has to go one direction or another. 
and um, and this is this is a basically a flat two-dimensional board I mean it's three-dimensional but it's it's mostly two-dimensional um, so the, the, the marble can't go in another direction it, it can only go left to right so if you follow the marble down you drop it from the top it is going to go in what we call a random pattern and the funny thing about the term random is that the way we use it is sort of the opposite of what it really is. Now pure randomness is the same thing as Pascal's triangle on the whole. Pure randomness is every possible combination of things happens. So that means the whole of Pascal's triangle gets filled up. The whole, every single combination of ones and zeros that can happen gets done in pure randomness. Now that's not what we normally think of as pure randomness, is it? Pure randomness is we think of as purely unpredictable. And to some extent that's what that means in that for any one location, for any one marble drop, for any one dice roll, for any one human life, it, it is unpredictable. We're not going to know which particular path, which particular pattern that this thing is going to have throughout time and space. So that's where the idea of free will versus um, determinism comes in. Determinism says that everything is predictable. And if you look at it on the whole, if the universe on the whole covers every possible combination of things, if everything that can happen does happen, which it does seem to be likely case, uh, the mathematics seems to show that, and certainly um, it seems reasonable given our observation of our observable universe from our limited human perception with our limited human tools that we've technology that we've created um, it certainly looks like it's quite possible that beyond what we can see the edge of our universe there's more there's no reason to say that it stops there we just can't see beyond it beyond the big bang beyond the the visible uh, universe beyond the cosmic radio wave background noise stuff. Um, there's no reason why there can't be more universes out there that are, that are parallel to ours, that are similar to ours, whatever you want to call it. And there are multiple ways you can look at that. Um, Brian Green, the physicist Brian Green, uh, is a, has some fantastic uh, TV shows and books and everything. They're, they're a little hard to get into the books. The books are pretty deep. Um, the TV shows are a lot easier to understand. But he's also got some talks on the, the World Science Festival. And he explains these things fairly well with the, all the multiple universe theories, all the different ways there can be multiple universes. Um, so if you want to check him out, that's that's a I highly recommend him. So if all possible things are tried, if every time there is an opportunity for... Um, something to go left or right, contract, expand, whatever you want to call it, um, that does both, then we have determinism. That means that we know that overall, 
throughout the entire set of these fractal universes or whatever we want to call them um, we know that everything is going to happen that can happen we just know this this is this is if this is true if this is actually how it happens then this is deterministic then our lives are predetermined by these patterns however from our own limited perspective which of course we have to be limited there's no way we can see all the universe if we did it, it would be it would be there it would be static it would be permanent and it would be done we wouldn't we wouldn't be enjoying all this this you know diversity and change and unpredictability so we know that we have a limited view of reality and that's where free will comes in it feels like to us and it's possible that we even have this we have some sort of control over it that we're not totally aware of how it happens but um, we certainly we certainly are not able to predict which direction something is going to go you know whatever direction the tiny molecule that's in my you know elbow my left elbow is going to take you know is going to change my life dramatically in some way or not so dramatically in a very subtle way but it's going to make a difference and each particle in my body is has the opportunity to change at every moment in time so as my body goes through the universe through time and space you know it's changing in a specific way and another um, another term that that physicists use for this is the wave collapse or the waveform collapse um, or the wave function collapse I'm not entirely sure which one I can't remember which one they use um, but the idea is that um, if you look at something and try to measure it as in the double slit experiment where they're they're shooting um, photons at a screen and there's a hole there's either one hole or there are two holes and you know you can go look at the double slit experiment if you're not familiar with it but the idea is that once you actually um, focus on something which is the single hole where you're you're forcing this particle or wave this light which could be either a particle or a wave or both at the same time but um, when you're forcing it to become a particle by shooting it through that single slit or you're measuring it with some other device um, in any way you're interfering with its ability to be a wave you're turning it into a particle and you're collapsing that wave of possibility of where that particle you know of where things are and how they're moving and that's the same thing with everything in the universe that exists that's material everything that's, that's a bit of matter interacts with other things and forces it to be more matter-like um, as far as I can tell I, I may be slightly wrong on that but but that's the gist of it when you're measuring something when you're looking at it when you're observing it in some way with some functionality you're going to make it more focused you're going to make it more matter like and when things are not being observed when they're free to be waves they can be waves so at every point in my body you know the particles are either free to be waves and to move around or they're becoming more particle like and fixed more in space and as my body keeps going through all these changes my my whole life slowly moves around 
uh, in Pascal's triangle. It slowly moves down as time progresses, and it either goes a little bit more left or a little bit more right on average, because on average my body does a little bit more contracting or a little bit more expanding. So that's where the sense of free will comes in, that I'm not actually predictable, that I'm not going in all the directions possible at once. I'm only aware of myself going in one direction. That is my consciousness. And I'm going to suggest that every single thing has some level of consciousness, which is an awareness of where it is in the process of time and space. Um, it's not a complex awareness. It's a very, very simple awareness of what's around it. Um, an atom knows what's around it because it can interact with these other things. It can either um, share an electron with them or reject or, or be repelled by something that has, you know, a negative charge, um, or however that works, you know, if they're, if both of them have negative charges, they'll repel, that sort of thing. So, so there's an awareness at every level of matter um, of what is going on around it. And we humans, because we're so complex, we have so many bits of stuff that are interacting and that are, are connected in some way, that are, that are communicating in some way. Um, that we're able to be even more consciously aware than, than these little tiny atoms might have very little consciousness. So our consciousness is only aware of one thing happening to us or, or one general path that we're taking through the universe overall. And that's why we feel like or we describe this term called free will because that means we're, um, we're unpredictable. That means, you know, Somebody can't look at us and say, okay, in 10 minutes, Turl is going to do so-and-so. You can make a guess because if you look at Pascal's triangle or if you look at the, the pegboard and dropping a marble, you know, there's, it's not going to jump around dramatically. It's only going to go left or right, left or right, left or right in each point in time by, by one, you know, tiny change. And so there's no way to, to change so dramatically that in 10 minutes I'm going to be on Mars. You know, all of the information that we've had up to now, all the patterns that I, my body has had up to now, this point in time, um, has led me to, for it to be impossible for my body to be on Mars in 10 minutes, as far as I know. <laughs> um, you know, there, there could be surprises there. Again, we're limited beings, so we don't know entirely. But... That is the difference between determinism and free will, where we have both. From our limited perspective, we have this, this unpredictability, where we don't know what's going to happen, and whatever is going on in the universe is making the change, so we're free to go left or right. Um, it's just that on the whole, it appears that deterministically, everything that happens does happen, so in another universe, I go the opposite direction. In another universe, I go a slightly opposite, you know, whatever. Um, every possible moment in time, my self splits, and that happens with everything in the universe. This is the, the, the one of the basic ideas of uh, multiple universes, is that um, while we might only be aware of one path that we take, uh, we actually end up taking all the possible paths. So, 
hopefully that covers most of the stuff in a very basic way <laughs> that I was trying to talk to you about. I'm going to cover um, evolution and entropy in another podcast because this is already over 30 minutes and my battery's going to run out any second now. So this was mostly free will and a little bit of introduction on Pascal's Triangle and look forward to a little bit more about um, entropy and evolution in a, another podcast. All right, if you have any comments, please email me at thewiseturtle.com or talk to me over on Reddit at reddit.com slash user slash turl, T-U-R-I-L. Or you can even comment on my blog here at, uh, which you can get to at turl.org, which is my WordPress blog. All right. I wish you a very free willish afternoon. Thanks. Bye.